0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the You Should Run podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, council member, vice president in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to my podcast in the past, you know, I've talked to guests from every single state, from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Miami, Florida, and all points in between, from uh, local elections like myself and school board, all the way up to U.S. Senate. Uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to John Fetterman and Bob Casey and others. But also if you've listened to me, especially in the past few months, you know that I think the most important politics are happening kind of in two places. One, school boards, and two, state legislatures, where the worst and the best things can happen. And I'm excited to talk about a place where so many good things are happening, and I don't want to give everything up, but with a very narrow majority, Minnesota is accomplishing so much from working on healthcare to climate to childcare issues and uh, helping kids at school. And I'm excited to talk today with State Senator Erin Murphy, who's going to talk about her story and hopefully encourage you to run for office, too. So Senator Murphy, thanks for talking today.
1: Thanks for having me, Tony. And I hope you'll call me Erin. It's great I, to be together.
0: I will, but I have to start that way. Um, All right. So Erin, you know, the first thing I always ask people is, have you always been politically active or did anything kind of, um, I, I know you have a personal story about how, what encouraged you to run for office, but have you always been a voter? Because it seems like everyone in Minnesota is politically active.
1: so uh, I uh, am a regular voter Uh, I grew up in a family I grew up in uh, southern Wisconsin and my family were not political activists but they were regular voters and they were avid readers and we talked about politics whether it was federal politics or local politics uh, at family tables from when I was a little kid up it was just a constant conversation we didn't all agree but it was uh, an experience that showed me, with the behavior of the adults around me, that politics is important, and it's something that not only I should participate in, but that it is a tool I can use uh, to improve people's lives if I choose to. Um, that's what I was raised with, uh, and so you know, when I became of age, I was a voter. I think I worked on a campaign of a classmate's dad when I was in eighth grade, and. We put bumper stickers on cars in the mall parking lot without asking, which you shouldn't do, <laughs> uh, but he won his election, and you know, I volunteered on lots and lots of campaigns, never really thinking I was going to run for office. I'm a nurse, um, and I was practicing nursing in Wisconsin and then in Minnesota. That's what brought me here, um, but eventually I did make the decision to run um, after I took care of my mom at the end of her life, um, and I'm really glad I did.
0: And you're a mom, I have kids, and so I bring my kids to things, um, they're they're at my council meeting sometimes because my wife is busy or uh, they've come to vote with me. Mm -hmm. With your experience, both as growing up that way and as a mom, how important it is to to have your kids knowledgeable and involved in the political process, even from a young age?
1: So, you know, we are uh, gratefully living in uh, a country with a robust democracy, one that is under attack. And we hold on to our democracy, our power as people with our vote to set the course for our future. We hold on to that if we believe in it. Um, and to believe in something, you have to understand it. So I think it's really important for our kids to have a practical, um, practical experience with politics. Um, you know, I did growing up in the ways that I experienced it with my family when I ran for office, my kids I have Twins, they were 14, they didn't want anything to do with my first campaign because they were 14, and that was frankly embarrassing that their mom was doing this, but they paid attention on the inside, and I think now each in their own way as young adults, um, they are proud of me and understand their version of uh, their perspectives on issues and the value of this work.
0: So I do want to talk about Minnesota, but I know you grew up in Janesville, Wisconsin, and when I learned that, I also know that that's where Paul Ryan is from. How, he is. How does a place like that, because it's not like New York City, it's not like a major metropolitan area in the same way, Like, not that it's too tiny, but how does a place like that produce people of such divergent politics, which is true in Minnesota as well, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, Janesville has changed a lot from um, my days as a, a young kid there. Uh, it's a big... It was a big union town. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a big General Mills, uh, excuse me, General Motors uh, plant there. Uh, That's where my dad worked. He built cars for a living. Um, But we were also surrounded by agriculture. Um, So there are a lot of people who grew corn and beans. There was a canning factory. My mom worked there part time. So we were industrial agriculture and a community of about uh, 50,000 people. Deeply committed uh, to organized labor because the plant was such a big institution there. Everybody worked at the plant. Um, That changed with time. You know, the plant is no longer there, it's been taken down. Um, And slowly over time, the community shifted from what felt like a Democratic stronghold to uh, something that's, you know, more mixed. Um, There are lots of Democrats that live in Janesville, but there are lots of Republicans. Paul Ryan's family uh, was a big construction family. Uh, he, I, I remember him from school. We were, he's younger than I am, but we were, you know, coming through school, um, around the same time. So, you know, we both went to the same church, uh, uh, so shared a lot of values. Um, but you know, he grew up with a different, uh, I guess, uh, political ideology than I did. And that happens in lots of communities. Um, but it's also, you know, just, just, you know, to extend this one more point, the home of Russ Feingold Mm -hmm. who served and represented Wisconsin in in the U.S. Senate for such a long time, a dear friend of our Paul Wellstone's. Um, And so perhaps the good news story about that is that we can come from same places with different ideologies um, and lead for the people. And Paul Ryan did that in his way, and I'm doing that in my way here in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, I only met um, Senator Feingold once, and that was when I was working for another Murphy, my friend Lois Murphy, who ran for Congress here uh, in 2004 and 2006, and so you ran for office for the first time in two thousand six, um, and I. What's the difference now in terms of are, are your is the politics the same? Uh, it was a very democratic year that year. I think people today might not remember it, which makes me feel old. But um, you know, it was a big wave election for Democrats, but and, and the situations have changed so much. So, are your are your motivations and uh, issues the same as they were in two thousand six as they are today in twenty twenty three?
1: So, I have essentially two answers to your question. Uh, having served in the Minnesota House for 12 years, uh, I served equal time in the majority and in the minority through swing elections um, and swing elections that worked against us, swing elections that helped us. Um, that has been a hallmark of our politics, I think, in America, but certainly here in Minnesota for the last decade and a half. Um, we're the benefactor of. A really great election in 2022, though I would not call it um, a wave election. It was a close, hard-fought uh, election with a, a you know the, the skinniest of majorities of the, as a result of it. So that that uh, I think continues to be the case in Minnesota. Like I understand, having once served in a trifecta before, like we are today, that they're fleeting. You don't hold the power for ever, so you've got to you know use the power that you have to do it the most good that you can for the people while you have it. I think the thing that has changed for me, Tony, is my perspective and understanding more deeply how power moves, how issues move, what it takes to build a movement, to support a movement, to engage a movement underneath an issue so you can actually move a set of policies. Um, my connection to uh, the world around the capital. Um, Is rooted in my early days of organizing with the Minnesota Nurses Association, which is where I started my, my My political work if you will. I'm grateful that I had an early experience in organizing because it has served me incredibly well But what I understand now, which I didn't wasn't really clear about when I first got elected is the changes that we're making inside the Capitol now are the result of years and years of work with movement and people across the state of Minnesota for years that set up the ability for us to take the votes that we did um, this session. And if you're not connected to the world outside, to the people um, of Minnesota where, you know, the changes that we're making are for and about, but driven by them, if you're not connected there, you'll miss the best part of politics. And the best part of politics um, is, is recognizing that we actually have the power if we craft a hopeful vision and act on it, Um, to move policies that are, some would say, big and enormous and impossible. Um, But I think we are showing over and over again that that is not the case if we work with the people uh, who send us here and we keep our word with them. And that's been a transformative experience for me that has come over time. And it's made me a much better policymaker and a better political leader.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one thing I notice, uh, and I, I appreciate that answer, is well, so many Democrats now are jealous of Minnesota, and they're not just jealous because they're from red states. Um, there are Democrats in New York, California, Hawaii. I've talked to people there who, I mean, I haven't talked to them since Minnesota's got this trifecta, but they look and they're like, wow, they're doing stuff. They're not just taking this for granted. Do you think there's a big value in having a more purplish state, especially in that level of state legislatures, um, in terms of motivating you to do things as opposed to being in a very blue or red state where you're like, well, you know, do you kind of carry on with the wave instead of having to work for it? Do you think that that having to work for it kind of ensures that you will do more when you have the power?
1: I, I don't know so much that it is the narrow majorities or the purpleness of our state as it is experiencing a trafecta a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end or sort of in the midpoint of the great recession, Um, moving significant policies. We raised taxes on the highest earners. We bounced the budget again um, that had been in deficits for nearly a decade. Uh, We passed marriage equality. Uh, We did a lot of work um, with that uh, trifecta, but there were things that we left behind. We didn't do transportation funding. We did nothing with gun violence prevention. We could have done driver's licenses for all, but we didn't do it. We left payday lending behind. There were a number of things that we didn't do because there were people who were worried that if we did too much, we wouldn't win our next election. And that concern about holding power trumped our desire to do what we needed to do for the people of Minnesota. It was a point of view. Uh, It was driven by people who had a lot of seniority. um, And it got in the way of doing the work. And what happened after that is the people who helped us earn that trifecta were really disillusioned with us. Mm -hmm. They were angry, and it took a while to rebuild and restore the faith in them to actually put their muscle behind us again. Um, And so when we came into power this time, I said to my colleagues, and we have a lot of new members in the legislature, I said, we will be remembered for the things that we don't do. Um, We just campaigned and told Minnesotans we were going to do uh, the work that they sent us to do. Now we need to do it. The other thing that is really important in this story is while i experienced that last trifecta and the impact of the things we did and didn't do so did uh the 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 coalition of of organizations labor organizations progressive organizations faith organizations who had a stake in the matter um, and they didn't want to see that happen again and beginning in 2016 first the house and then the senate came together in a broad coalition that we call the Minnesota Values Project. And for the last six years, MVP has been working to develop consensus around a set of issues that if we had the power, we would move. And that's the foundation for the agenda that we moved this session. So we came into a trifecta that people didn't think we could earn, especially in the Senate. I I was the caucus campaign chair And I heard all the way through the election, there's no way you can win a majority. There's just no way you can do it. And I knew we had a path and we ran a risky, smart strategic campaign and we won by a seat. And then we worked with the house, with the speaker, um, with the Democrats in that body who were now in their sixth year of power um, and agreed that we were going to move boldly. We were gonna move an agenda that we committed to and that MVP agenda, was already in place, and it became the foundation for the work this session.
0: Yeah, if I was a lobbyist for a different kind of corporate power, I would be nervous seeing your agenda with having a majority, knowing what could happen. Because obviously, know what a trifecta can do. What? How were you successful? Like, what? What? Minnesota is a very diverse state: rural, city, suburban. Um, you know, different minority groups, religions, etc. Like, what do you think was key to your success? And especially early on, like, did you have, is it recruiting candidates, fundraising? What were the most important things on a statewide campaign to winning that majority?
1: So good news on this front. And I've I've spent much of my tenure in public office also working on the campaign side, recruiting candidates, getting to know people, getting to know this great, big, tall state. Um, and so when my colleagues elected me to be the chair of the caucus campaign, we knew We had a new campaign director. Her name is Megan Handel. Um, She'd worked on uh, caucus campaigns in other states, um, but she grew up in Minnesota and wanted to come back to Minnesota um, and came to manage our our campaign. We knew we needed to raise a lot of money early. We needed to hire early, and we needed to recruit really strong candidates and make sure that they were well prepared to campaign on their own message in their districts. And that's what we built. Um, Because... I think the country is going through such upheaval. There were a number of really strong people who decided they wanted to run. I love that part of the story. Um, Even though, you know, we were billed as the body that probably couldn't win the majority, incredible people chose to run for the Minnesota Senate. And they challenged incumbent Republicans, and they won. Um, And as I said, we won by the skin of our teeth with one seat, but we elected some exceptional new members to the Minnesota Senate, and they came in with a purpose they mm-hmm. wanted to do for their communities. So we knew how to win. The last thing I'll say, Tony, in the campaign is we we raised and I think we raised well we raised and spent about 8.5 million dollars and every caucus campaign is different, and I know different states um, raise and spend different different amounts of money. That's the most that we've ever expended on a caucus campaign. We put a fair amount of money into broadcast television, which is also something a Senate caucus has never done. I don't think the House caucus has done it either. So in our targeted seats, and we were very, very clear about where we were going to target. We didn't get the the wandering eye of maybe we could win in this place or that place. We were disciplined and determined uh, about where we were choosing to put our strategic resources, and we ran broadcast television ads in I think six seats in order to make sure that we gave ourselves the best shot of winning um, that majority. And at about three in the morning, I think uh, the day after the election, we learned that we had succeeded.
0: So I want to ask one question about money that I hadn't thought of before you mentioned 8.5 million, because that's one congressional campaign. And, you know, so much time is spent and it's important to win the house. I mean, we can see what's going on with the silliness And really, you care about government. It's disappointing more than the Democrat versus Republican thing. Like, you want government to work, whatever that is. Um, If you were telling people about donating, why is it more important to get $8.5 million for a legislative statewide campaign, and not just in Minnesota, even a red state like Nebraska? Would Would you encourage more money for that kind of organizing versus to another congressional campaign or whatever state?
1: I think that the proof is in what we've just accomplished here. Um, State legislatures uh, and the Minnesota legislature is not yet broken. We are able to move an agenda. Um, In many cases, uh, we uh, are able to work across the aisle uh, with our Republican colleagues. Um, And it is a place where, one, where we make significant investments to improve people's lives But state legislatures are really powerful um, and they're often overlooked. Uh, And when you think about what we accomplished uh, in the wake of Dobbs, um, where we secured reproductive freedom uh, for the people of Minnesota, uh, where we banned conversion therapy and assured gender affirming care uh, here in the state of Minnesota. We invested in our infrastructure all across the state, universal school meals uh, for kids, breakfast and lunch so they're not hungry and they can learn. Uh, driver's licenses for all. We restored voting rights for people who were formerly incarcerated. Uh, We did powerful things for people who live here in the state of Minnesota. State legislatures have a lot of reach. Um, And while I I understand how important the Congress is, those congressional races are expensive. Um, There are 435 members of the U.S. Congress who often get caught in gridlock. We are not caught in gridlock here. We're making progress for people, and that's why it is such an important investment for uh, the people who are considering donating in our politics, um, because you will see your investment yield results for the people and for the place you call home, right here in Minnesota.
0: And I, we often talk about how somewhat of the topic of the ticket can lift up candidates, but how do you see from what you've done on the ground level about the people on the bottom of the ticket? the state legislators running for office, especially new candidates. How does that help the rest of the ticket on the way up? Because here in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro just won a huge race for governor. It was not close, was never going to be close, and we won a majority in the state house. Um, But I imagine having good candidates help just as much as the other way around.
1: So in this last cycle, um, I think it was the strength of the legislative campaigns, both House and Senate, and the work we did to turn out the vote, that propelled our our attorney general back into office. His race, Keith Ellison's race, was the closest of our constitutional officers. Um, It was a very, very competitive race and we were worried about it. And so not only were we working to earn the majority we needed to be able to govern for the people, um, but we were really committed to turning out the vote um, in the districts where we were running and running hard across the state of Minnesota, even in the places where we didn't think we could win a seat Um, so that we would assure uh, a win for our Attorney General, Keith Ellison. There's a woman named Alita Borwood who ran um, in Senate District 25, I believe, just outside of Rochester. She didn't win her seat. Um, It was a hard race. Uh, She was running against an entrenched Republican. The DPI didn't favor her, but she knocked the heck out of the doors there and turned out the vote and contributed to Attorney General Ellison's win. So I understand and have been in elections when Barack Obama ran and won, like the, the turnout was inspired by him and by what he offered. That campaign was magical. Um, but this cycle, I think, instead of thinking top down and coattails, we were building bottom up um, and lifting everybody up. And sometimes the races just go that way I I tend not to uh, buy into coattails because I don't want to rely on somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important that we are, you know, assuring our wins by our own work. And when that benefits um, people that are uh, at the top of the ticket, that's just gravy for us.
0: So uh, speaking of your own work, you guys, like I said, a huge list of accomplishments, which takes a lot of time. It's not like you can just like go into the office and just flip through a book and pass bills. What... Especially having seen the work and how hard it is to pass the bills, um, what are your top accomplishments this year? You mentioned school lunches. Was, to me, is very important. Should be important to everybody. And it's ridiculous that we're going backwards in states like North Dakota. But what what are what's your favorite accomplishment that, if at the end of this year, you'd be like, I'm going to put that on the wall and frame it? <laughs>
1: it's such a um, it's such a funny question. It's a hard one because there are you know between paid family leave and legalizing uh, uh, adult use cannabis. Um, driver's licenses for all, uh, restoring voters' rights. There's so many things that we did. I think my favorite part of this story is when, when faced with the choice of making progress, of doing what we said, of stretching ourselves, um, of setting aside our concern about what it could mean for our next election, uh, instead of doing that, we did the work. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it we didn't, as my colleague, uh, Rena Moran said, you didn't chicken out. You Mm -hmm. didn't, um, favor your own power over the interests of the people of Minnesota. Um, and that part is so deeply satisfying and it's so important. And I, I am a subscriber to a joyful, purposeful politics that's intentional. Uh, and if we don't have the faith, of the people if they don't believe in what we're doing if they don't believe that we are running for office getting elected in order to meet the moment for them they're not gonna they're not gonna participate and why would they they'll walk away from this process and so in a time when people are pretty cynical about politics it is really sweet it is really sweet to be able to say we said we were going to do these things and we did them
0: So uh, one question I've been asking a lot of my guests um, is about mental health and their own mental health. I think people look at politicians uh, from a distance and they say that, well, there's X number of Republicans, X number of Democrats are all interchangeable. Um, But when you're in a state and you've been in this position because you were in the minority too, where you see bad Mm -hmm. bills and how it can negatively impact people. Um, And now you're in the position where you can see good legislation and you'll see how it will impact people. So many times I've asked people this question. It's about the negative impacts on mental health. How's your mental health when you're doing this? Is it like um the endorphins rushing is it does it how does it affect you and your colleagues as human beings when you can go home and get things done?
1: I have um described this session uh as a being uh in labor, and the contractions are coming too fast and too hard, and there's no time to recover in between we moved a lot of big issues through the legislature and it is hard work, right? The the opposition is real. Um, people who don't share this agenda. Um, and there were 34 of us and 33 Republicans and they were often, um, at odds with one another. So there was fierce opposition to what we were doing. So it, you know, while we had a majority, um, it is not easy to move an agenda, Um, when you are facing uh, a wall of strong opposition. Uh, So I I do uh, pay attention to uh, uh, my own resilience. Um, I do a lot of walking. Uh, I do a lot of uh, listening to music. Um, But I also know that I get a lot of energy out of making progress, uh, out of the hard work with a successful outcome. Um, And I love people. Um, including the people I serve with um, there are many uh, members of the Senate both Democrats and Republicans that I enjoy I enjoy their company in so while there are many long nights and hard weeks um, I still find time with people they make me laugh um, we can be good to each other and that that uh, you know fills that part of uh, the hardness like it balances the hardness out for me um, and it keeps me coming back
0: yeah, you, know, you just mentioned about how you like your colleagues, both Democrats and Republicans. Um, and I, I mean, I've heard that about Minnesota. Is Minnesota, nice. I don't know if that's always the case. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're nice in other states too. But um, <laughs> do you think that your example is because um, you're you haven't been vindictive? You've seen this in other politics where Florida. Texas even though they've never lost the majority they're vindictive and anytime they lose a vote right um, do you think that's maybe changed the hearts of some of your opponents on legislation to maybe change their mind on on different issues or at least soften their hearts in opposition in some things
1: I, I do know it is the case that when you operate um, with integrity when you um, you know I, Early in my career, I, I made a mistake that uh, I, re- I recognized after I'd done it on um, a piece of legislation that was really complicated. And I went to my then colleague, Tom Emmer, who's now serving in Congress. Um, I went to his office and said, uh, you know, you asked me a question, I gave you this answer. I learned afterwards that I wasn't right about that. And I want to let you know that I'd done that. And he said, I know that. I, I already knew it. Um, And I said, I'm going to go back to the next committee. I'm going to correct it on the record. And he said, I appreciate that. He wasn't interested in trying to embarrass me. Mm -hmm. But I think it also mattered a lot to him that I acknowledged my mistake. Um, And we became, uh, in many ways, allies. Um, Not that we were going to vote the same, but we recognized each other's humanness in that moment. Um, And that has carried me uh, forward in in the work that I do. And while uh, the... the the agenda that we passed is not an agenda that some of my republican colleagues support or even like and they're worried about it. Um, I do know that we can bridge those divisions with a human respect and kindness um, and directness um, that helps us continue to work together despite our differences and significant differences on public policy. Um, And so I try to practice that um, and not everybody does uh, but I don't want to end my career uh, being described as somebody who was mean-spirited, vindictive, calculating. I don't. I don't want to be that person, and so I try to go back to work every day um, and act uh, as myself, um, knowing that I might not be using all the tools that every politician uses, but I'm using the ones that I rely on, the ones that I trust, and the ones that speak to who I am, and that's important for me. And I think it's important
0: for voters. Speaking of voters, uh, I've talked with so many people in different states, especially red states, where it seems like there's three political parties, both in the legislatures and back home. There are the Democrats, which tend to be pretty united as of late, Um, and then there are the business Republicans, and then there are the QAnon conspiracy Republicans, whether they're in the legislature or voters, and it seems like there are a lot of squishy Moderate conservatives who are leaving that party or not participating in the anger. And so the energy from them is gone to support Republican candidates, even if they might vote for them. Do you think that your perspective and your a way of running the legislature and at, right now, even though you're passing progressive bills, which I agree with, do you think that helps to maybe create a better alternative to those people in the middle who are tired of what's on the other side?
1: I do think that we are, uh, experiencing some benefit from a Republican party that, you know, when you think about them nationally, um, have, you know, they're fragmented, but they also don't really clearly articulate what they stand for in part because they're divided and in part because, um, Trump, former president Trump has so dominated, uh, the narrative for the Republicans. And if, I listen to former President Trump closely, what he seems to stand for the most is himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't really motivate people. It doesn't inspire people. Um, you don't want to vote for somebody because they're for themselves, right? Like in the end, people are going to vote for a person who they believe is going to work on their behalf, or they can see in in that candidate the thing that's important to them. Um, and And so I think the Republicans are, you know, struggling and it happens. Uh, It's happened to the Democrats in the past as well, where they're going through a significant transition. They're not through it yet. And it is, I I think, modeling in a kind way, I'm using a kind word, modeling what they represent, who they represent, what they stand for. And there are people who have voted um, Republican in the past who then voted for Democrats in this last election particularly on the issue of choice Mm -hmm. um, and on the issue of our democracy. Um, So that, that won't last forever unless we figure out how to continue to convey to Minnesotans what we stand for clearly, because if all we do is rest on the disaffection of some voters from their former party, then that's not a way to lead. We have to be really clear and bold in what we stand for in order to continue to earn the support of people here in Minnesota.
0: Well, speaking of being clear and bold, um, the podcast is called You Should Run. And so I want to ask you kind of two questions here. One, why, especially now, because it's early for the 2024 election. So why should people think about running for state legislature now? And two, when they get there, what would you say they should be prepared to do to be good at governing? Because I was a new person once. You were a new person once. Clearly, you've learned a lot about like being a better legislator now that you have experience, how can people hit the round running in a positive way?
1: So you should run. Um, You should absolutely run Uh, because we can make change for people. And uh, in our country, we still have our hands on the reins of the ability to set the course for our future and to make decisions that impact everybody. You know, we're not everything. We have a business community, we have a civic community, we have faith community. It is all of us together that make Minnesota the place that we love, that we call home. But the public sector plays an important part in that. Um, and a, a well-functioning and efficient government is a part of a foundation for uh, our communities, for our schools, for our healthcare system, for the, the 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 structures that hold our communities together. You have the ability to shape, influence, improve, and advance that if you run for office. And you have a real opportunity to make change. Um, So yes, you should absolutely run. And if you're going to run in 2024, you should get started soon because the one thing you never get back is time.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So the sooner you start, the more time that you have. I was a better prepared first term member because I knocked the heck out of my district. And I'd lived in the district that I represent for about 18 years when I ran. And I thought I knew it pretty well. My kids went to school here. My husband runs a small business here. I'd worked in politics here as a volunteer on local campaigns. Um, I thought I knew the community well, but nothing prepares you to represent the interests of people like door knocking and hearing their stories on the doorsteps. And if you wanna go in and be an advocate for people, you have to know what they think what they're experiencing, what they're what they're frustrated about, what they're hopeful for, you get that education at the doors. Mm-hmm. And then I was lucky to find a mentor or mentors. Um, and I don't subscribe to "you're a first timer, you should sit down, be quiet, um, and learn," um, because I think you learn by doing. But count on the people around you, um, both the ones you know from outside the capital and the people that you're getting to know inside the capital. Help them. Understand what you're trying to achieve. Let them help you understand how to do it Um, and work in partnership and in mentorship. Uh, It was through the doing that I became a much stronger legislator. I feel much more clear about how power works, Um, much more clear about what it takes to actually move a significant piece of policy. And I'm a much more clear and I think effective political leader across the state of Minnesota because I've taken the time to get to know the state, to spend time in other places, but always through conversations with Minnesotans. They are my best guide. They are the best teachers. If you want to know the place you live in, get to know the people. They will be your guide. They will prepare you to lead, and you'll be successful as a result.
0: And, you know, just on that note, I imagine that you, as someone who is a veteran of the legislature who's been there, you didn't want the new people to be backbenchers, I assume, you were excited to help them succeed. That's the whole reason you got them elected.
1: That's right. That's right. And many of them carried significant pieces of policy. Mm-hmm. And they got a lot of support from our caucus to do it. I, um, I was lucky early in my tenure to carry a big piece of legislation. Um, there are plenty of examples of other newly elected members who carried significant pieces of legislation And it it doesn't. And I've been when I was elected to the Senate, one of my senior members told me my job was to be quiet and just learn, which I don't agree with. You learn by doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I am I am really excited to be able to, to, you know, if you saw the 14 members who got elected and the work that they did, the the significant policies that they moved, uh, their 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 vice chair chairpersonships, they sat on conference committees. Um, They had a very full experience, in part because there were only 34 of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So we couldn't have anybody just sitting on the sidelines, but also because we are a stronger caucus together when we are doing the work together. Um, And they were magnificent, they really were. They were wonderful candidates. Um, They were strong in their own right. They were clear about why they were running. They came to the legislature, and they really, really did an awesome job for the people of Minnesota.
0: So I have to ask this question now because you've mentioned it, um, and I apologize for going long. But um, of those new people, you don't have to give any one example or single anyone out necessarily. But is there anything that you learned as an issue or a perspective that was new to you, even though you've been in the legislature for a while? Because I know even me, when I've had a new member of council on, like, oh, well, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, is there anything that, like, now that they had this new fresh eyes, whether as a candidate or as an elected official, that brought something new to you?
1: I um I find new things I learn new things, uh, new experiences all of the time. It is you know back to the point earlier, like rely on people around you like I we should be students we should think like students all of the time in this work and I have now plenty of experiences and I want to share them to with anybody who's interested so that they have the benefit of those experiences and that knowledge mm-hmm. um, but. I've learned, I learn something new all of the time from our new members, uh, particularly about the state of our politics, because as you say, I'm a veteran and I've been doing this for a while. So to listen to somebody who has just won their first election, especially in a tough district, to hear them describe how it felt um, to, to win, but also how it felt Um, to have negative mail delivered uh, in their neighborhoods, to have negative messages delivered to their community, um, how that feels for them, what it means for them, what that means for our politics, um, is a cycle that I don't ever want to step out of as long as I'm in public office. uh, Because I do think we have to remember that while we are competing for power in an election, and I am like my colleagues and want very much to win, You don't want to do that at the expense of someone's humanity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes campaigns go too far. Um, And it's important to listen to the experiences of people who are brand new uh, because they're not um, hardened yet to the experience. They won't say, well, that's just the way it works. They will have a better story. And I think those stories are really important for me, anyhow, as I think about how to run the next campaign to make sure that we are still being human beings to one another and not – Divorcing ourselves of that at the at the with the aim of winning, because that's not the kind of win that serves us or the people of Minnesota very well.
0: I, I really appreciate that answer because it's very easy to become cynical whether you're new or not new, and I'm I, I really am grateful for that. Um, I'm also grateful that you responded and you kept up with doing this conversation. You, you have so much to say. So the final question, of course, is if people are interested in following you, maybe learning about Minnesota in general, what's the best way that people can stay in touch with you, whether it's on social media or otherwise?
1: I'm easy to find. Uh, uh, you know, I'm the only Murphy in the Minnesota Senate, so... Old school email there is an easy place to find me. But I'm also on Instagram, um, TikTok, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, and I'm, I'm active on all of those platforms. Uh, so you can find me there at EPMurphyMN. Um, and I'd love, um, I'd love to see your name show up so I can follow you. Um, I'm easy to connect with. So send a message um, and let me know what you're thinking. And if you're going to run for office, let me know because I want to be helpful.
0: Please reach out to Senator Murphy or Aaron, as we're friends now, and a lesson because I encourage everyone, if you're thinking about it, maybe you should run for office, too. Thank you, Aaron, and I really wish you the best of luck, and I'm looking forward to your next successes in Minnesota.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much for having me, Tony. Happy birthday.
0: Thank you so much.